Hey there, thanks for joining me for another episode of Body Talk with Bex. This week I wanted to go back and dissect a bit more a few things that licensed marriage and family therapist Haley Daggett and I talked about last week. We covered a lot and it really relates to why I started this podcast in the first place, which is to create a safe space to talk about health and illness during childhood. Just as a quick reminder here, I do have a little 80-pound fur child running around in the background, so if you hear any noise, that's what that is. So let's just jump right on in. week I was at my chiropractor's office and I was actually discussing this podcast with my doctor and just kind of my overall goals for it when he told me that roughly one out of every two or six out of every 10 children actually suffer from chronic illness. And this really got stuck in my head and I decided to look this at myself and not just take his word for it. Now, for starters, let's define what is meant by quote-unquote chronic illness. In the studies that are done to to create these findings, chronic illness refers to any kind of continued ailment including asthma and obesity. According to the Center of Disease Control in a study done in 2011 actually, approximately 56% of children have a chronic illness. And those are just the ones that have been reported. Even if we took out anyone who is overweight, the percentage is still at a staggeringly high number at 43%. From there, if we only look at children who need special care due to their condition, the number is still at a high of 19.2%. That's roughly one in five children that needs special care. So from this, we can realize that it's not so uncommon of an occurrence to have a chronic illness in childhood. So then, why is it so hard to talk about? Haley brought up that as humans, we have this primal desire or even a primal need to fit in, to not be the odd man out. And while this self-preservation was once really useful to us, it really doesn't serve a purpose in today's culture or societal system. Now, if we put this deep-seated sense of shame aside, why is it still so hard to talk about? Because let's be real here. It is a hard subject. We're not taught to hold conversations about illness. And a lot of times when we can observe and learn as kids, we wind up being shielded from it instead. Who else can recall a time when the adults talked in hushed tones or behind closed doors instead of letting you see? Now, what's the issue with this though? I mean, we all want to protect our kids from things that they don't necessarily need to know about and maybe they won't understand quite yet. But we have to remember that children learn and imitate behaviors by both listening and watching. This is actually called observational learning. And this isn't limited only to behavioral reinforcements at home, but from their environment, such as school, the grocery store, even TV. 
the best thing that you can do is demonstrate for your child how to have this kind of conversation. Let them see how you handle the situation and let them see the empathy that you can display. Because we need to remember that even if they don't understand the topic that's being talked about, they're at least picking up how we're behaving and how we're handling the conversation. According to psychologist Albert Bandura, humans are naturally inclined to engage in observational learning. Since this is literally wired into us, let's use this to our advantage and show the new generation how to communicate properly. So let's break this down even a little further. There are four different stages of observational learning. First, there's attention, then retention, reproduction, and motivation. And I'll try to breeze through these stages pretty quickly here. So we don't just learn things from seeing someone say or do something just once. If we're not in the right mindset, then the lesson trying to be taught can be missed entirely. The right mindset will allow the observer to remain focused on the demonstration and comprehend what is happening during the conversation. This is one reason why it would be beneficial for these types of conversations to even start taking place in the first place. The more frequently an observer is exposed to it, the more likely it is that the observer will be in the right mindset for it to really sink in. And this is really actually the retention part of it as well. Reproduction then is when the observer now attempts to replicate the demonstrated behavior. Lastly, motivation. We're all guilty of only wanting to do things that will have positive outcomes for ourselves. Typically, motivation in these instances are referred to tangible rewards, like monetary rewards, or for kids, maybe it's a piece of candy or a new toy. But I think it can also be, when we have these types of exchanges with other people at least, that we feel a connection, we feel good, this is our motivation to continue these empathetic exchanges. We feel good about inquiring into our friend's health, for letting them discuss things if they would like to, and also therefore deepening the bond of our friendship. I think that if we had all been shown more as kids how to talk to each other with this kind of sincerity, even about all the hard things in life, that we would all be a little more empathetic in our daily lives. And I do want to acknowledge that we're all guilty of moments of weakness, myself included for sure. <laughs> I remember there was this one time when I was in Seattle with my mom and my Aunt Jean to see Dr. Mitchell. And I think I was at about 10 or 11 at the time, but we were staying at the Silver Clouds Inn at the University Village. And I was sick and didn't want to go out at all, but the housekeeping really needed to come in and clean our room. So there's this sunroof um, outside up above the indoor swimming pool that we went up to just to get some sun and some fresh air while we're waiting for the housekeeping to finish up in our room. And this other girl and her mom came upstairs to the sunroof as well. And she was about my age and her head was completely shaved and she had a bandana tied over her head but you could still see some scar tissue and stitches visible that were sticking out. 
And my mom caught me staring at her. And I just remember her admonishing me for doing that. I mean, I myself have my own medical issues and would hate to be stared at like that. And yet here I was doing it. The point is from this that we're all guilty of doing things that make other people feel bad about themselves. And I mean, I still feel ashamed that I made that girl feel bad. But we took that moment and turned it into a lesson. One of the things that's been frustrating for me is that as mental health has been more and more talked about and more normalized, I had hoped the same would be said for other kinds of illness. But so far, it hasn't. And here's the thing. We all have bodies. We all have physical functions. Not everyone's body will function how it is intended to. And this becomes more likely as we grow older. We start developing high blood pressure or high cholesterol, just as examples. So to a degree, everyone has to deal with this at some point. So why aren't we able to talk about it? My last point that I would like to discuss that we talked about last week as well is how to approach this. And we discussed how to approach it as a parent to a child, but we never talked about it in terms of how to approach these conversations of health friend to friend or even to acquaintances. And I just, compassion, everyone, compassion. Before we can possibly teach you know, newer generations how to interact, we have to be able to show each other compassion. We do have the capability to learn behaviors, but we have to recognize the bad ones and have somewhere to learn the new ones from. I'm so glad I grew up in the time that I did because I can't imagine how much worse it would be now. I remember one time in college, someone walked up to me and, and she wasn't even a friend, someone that I talked to in class. She just happened to be in my dance class with me and she walked up to me and just demanded to know where my scar came from as if it were her business to know but not even her business it was she acted as if it was her right to know where my scar came from and how do you handle something like that i mean how do you kindly tell someone it's not your business you know, I don't know you, we're not close. Why do you think it's your business to know? I mean, if she had been a close friend and had asked me kindly where my scar came from, I would have told her. I'm, as you can tell clearly by starting this podcast, I'm pretty open about my experiences and all of the things that have happened to me in the medical world and Pretty much any of my friends can agree that I've told them of my own accord things that have happened to me and where my scars came from and even have told them that if they have any questions to feel free to ask because I would be happy to tell them. So I clearly have no issues opening up about my past. So if it hadn't been for the fact that her demeanor was aggressive because that's how she came off, aggressive. And if she hadn't been basically a complete stranger that I had never spoken to before because 
I didn't even know her name, we had never spoken before, <laughs> I probably would have been fine with telling her, hey, yeah, I had surgery when I was a kid, and that's a scar from that. Really, would have had no problems with that. I think that I am so open about everything that I've been through because of the way that I was raised. My mom never let me feel like the victim. She never made me feel ashamed for the things that I went through and had to deal with. And she always raised me to see the silver lining. Always made everything fun. Never, yeah, never let me be the victim. And uh, she always taught me that I was the only one that could change the way that I view things. That I was the only one who could make it okay. And it was all about my outlook on life. And it was all about how I chose to view the situation. Yes, I was in the hospital a lot. Yes, I was having surgeries and had illness and was on medications and I could have played Debbie Downer to a T. I could have wallowed in self-pity if I wanted to. But she never let me do that. She never let anything that I went through harm my self-image of myself. She never let it interfere with being a kid and being able to go out and do things that kids should be able to do, like going to dance class and going to birthday parties and trying new sports and hobbies and anything that I wanted to do. She never let me believe that my illness would hold me back from living a full life. And I think that that was an incredible thing to do. I definitely would not be the same person without that. You know, I very easily could have been someone who just never did anything with their life and never was able to move past having an illness. Someone who let the illness define them. She didn't let the illness, having bladder atrophy, become the thing that people remembered me by. I was energetic. I was a dancer. I liked to sew. I was creative. I liked to sing and dance. And that was how she let me define myself. I was not the sick kid. I was not the kid who couldn't go to birthday parties because I was sick or I was sad because I was sick. It wasn't what defined me. And I'm grateful that she instilled that in me and that I still live by that. And I think that's another reason why I never felt shame around talking about my illness and my medical problems because I wasn't letting it define me. I wasn't ashamed by it. And it let me be more open about my experiences and I think going back to what Haley was saying about it being a natural instinct to feel shame, I think that my mom helped work that out for me personally. And I think that that's a wonderful place to start. And I think that that's something that 
parents of children with illness can work on. As parents, if we can do what my mom did, not let self-pity rule our lives, then a lot of that shame that is part of our instinctual being can be, if not weeded out, at least not as present. And I think it would help letting us have that discussion. It would help with opening up the lines of communication for future generations to be able to talk about it and be more open about it. Having an illness and going through different types of surgeries and hospitalizations are traumas in and of itself each, each time. And it's therapeutic to talk about it and to discuss it because it's what helps us process what's happened to us and the damage that it's done to our mental state. And so I think that being able to openly discuss things that we've all been through will help with the way that we view and potentially talk about all of these different types of things. And um, hopefully we'll just overall make it a better a better world for anyone who has medical problems, you know, um, being able to not feel that sense of innate shame that we have at being the lowest man on the totem pole, so to speak. And uh, now I feel like I've just kind of gone off on a tangent and maybe this episode has gotten away from me a little bit, but I think I have said everything that I have to say for right now on that. that's really all I have for this week. Just the hope that we can all learn to be more compassionate with each other and to model for the younger generation how to have these difficult conversations. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing and maybe becoming a patron on patreon.com backslash body talk with Bex. If you want to share your own story, check out the website www bodytalkwithbex.com and submit to me. And of course, make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks for listening.